Come on, somebody, if you love Jesus, go ahead and keep clapping. Come on, give him a hand in this place today. Man, I am excited this morning, right? You guys excited to be in the house of the Lord today? Man, I didn't come to play church. I came to experience Jesus in a real, authentic, genuine way this morning. First service was wild, all right? I'm about to lose my voice already, and I, hadn't, it's, I just got to second service. It's going to be awesome. I'm very, very excited. So let's jump into the message. I think God is going to do something special in this place today. So I don't want you to just sit there. I want you to be excited, and I want you to be expectant for what God is going to do in your heart, because I think God really wants to do something special with your life here today. And it is going to begin right now, because God's Holy Spirit is in this place. Come on, somebody. So before Super Bowl 49, Marshawn Lynch was the running back for the Seattle Seahawks at the time, and he's in an interview with Deion Sanders, and he was asked why he didn't like to talk to the media. Lynch was notorious uh, for not attending press conferences and for not doing interviews before or after games. And so in the interview, Deion Sanders asked him why he didn't like to talk, and this is what he said. He said, talking has never won me anything. And then he went on to say, I'm about that action, boss. Why don't you look at your neighbor and tell him, I'm about that action, boss. His mindset was, why talk about it? Why talk about it? Because that doesn't do you any good. Don't just talk the talk. He says, walk the walk. And as followers of Jesus, Jesus has not called us to just talk the talk. He has called us to walk the walk. Jesus doesn't just want us to identify with him in name only. He wants us to be about that action. He calls us to be doers of the word. He calls us into a relationship with him that is transformative. He calls us into a kind of love that loves God in a way that manifests itself in a love for others, in a love for our neighbors. Jesus says many times, go and make disciples, and I'm sending you out. He requires action from our lives, not lip service. And so James is going to echo that sentiment, and he is going to issue a harsh critique of those who profess to know Jesus, but you're just talking the talk without walking the walk. He issues a harsh critique of those who profess to know Christ, but are not about that action. So let's pray, and then we are going to jump into our text for today. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and for your love and for your mercy. And Lord, I pray that you would be in this place right now, Lord, that you would open up our hearts, Lord, we are desperate for your Holy Spirit to be in this place, Lord, that you would open up our hearts so that we can be receptive to what you have to say to us right now, Lord, I pray that you would open up our ears so that we can hear you, Lord, I pray that you would come into this place and do what only you can do, Lord, I pray that you would heal sick bodies, Lord, I pray that you would would raise dead dead faith and make it alive. Lord, I pray that you would come in here, change lives, transform hearts, and save souls. And all God's people said, amen. All right, let's go to, excuse me, before that, we're going to be talking about James. And so we're in week three of our sermon series 
called Wise Guy, where we are going through the letter of James. And James, the author, calls himself, he says, James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have traditionally and historically attributed this letter to James, the half-brother of Jesus. And he's writing to Jewish Christians who are facing mass persecution now because they have put their faith in Jesus. And they have been dispersed all throughout Israel. And so he's writing to encourage them, and he's writing to the early Christians, and he's writing to tell us as followers of Jesus that we can be patient in times of trials. And he actually tells us to flip our focus and flip our perspective and view our trials and view these obstacles in our lives as joyous opportunities, joyous occasions for spiritual growth. And he writes to implore us to actually live out the things that Jesus has called us to live out. And he pulls largely from his big brother's most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, as well as a lot of the Old Testament. He condemns favoritism, which Pastor Matt talked about last week. He condemns hypocrisy, pride, and dead faith, which is what we're going to talk about today. And he writes to implore us as believers to live with a different kind of wisdom. Right? Not worldly wisdom, but godly wisdom. And he implores us to be doers of the word, not just hearers. And today he is going to tell us we've got to be about that action. So let's jump into our text for today. We are in James chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 14 through 26. If you don't have a Bible, that's all right. We're going to have the words up on the screen for you. So James says this What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, hey, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. James would say to that, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Well, even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So what's going on here? There's this this big word we're going to just briefly talk about, antinomianism. All right, look at your neighbor and say antinomianism. And so this word is Greek, and it means against the law, right? And so this is a doctrine that becomes prevalent at the time that the Gospels are being preached. So you've got Paul, and you've got the disciples, and they're going out, and they're telling the crowds, we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. It is not by your works, lest any man should boast. It is because of the cross of Jesus Christ that we are saved. 
That's some good preaching right there, right? Okay, yeah, all right, we can get down with that. But then there becomes this idea that people start uh, to believe that basically since we are saved by grace, there is no reason to obey God's word anymore. So this is a doctrine that, 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 that says that since we are freed by grace, we are also freed from the necessity of obedience to God. And so the antinomians rejected the very notion of obedience. So they would say things like, we're saved by grace. We don't need to obey the law. We can keep on sinning, right? Because his grace is sufficient. And if, I, if God gets glory whenever I, whenever I sin and he forgives me, well, then I'll just keep on sinning so that God gets more glory, right? This was the idea. And I think we say, oh, wow, that's so silly. But I would say that's not too different than the way that we live our lives. I can just keep on sinning. I don't have to allow the Lord to transform my heart and my life. I can just keep on sinning. And then guess what? I can just, sorry, God, ask God to forgive me without being changed. James is issuing a warning to those who are operating under this belief system. James says that real saving faith is proven to those who observe our lives, not by what we say, but by what we do. And if a person's actions do not display a changed life for Jesus, then perhaps your life has not been changed by Jesus. Perhaps that person's claim to be faithful to Jesus is dead. Faith that does not lead to works, James says, is dead and not really a faith in Christ at all. So I don't want you to hear that and then begin to chase works-based salvation. I don't want you to leave here thinking that you've got to work to get to God, that you've got to work to get beloved by God. The work was done in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness and the perfection of his son Jesus, which has been imputed to you. James does not command Christians to work for the benefit of others in need instead of placing faith in Christ or even in addition to placing faith in Christ. He expects that Christians will work for the benefit of others in need as a result of placing their faith in Jesus. And so my main point today is faith works. Look at your neighbor and say, faith works. Faith works in that it leads us into a deeper relationship with Christ, but true, genuine faith does work. Faith works. Faith works, again, it leads us into a deeper relationship with God, but faith does work. And it's easy to read a passage like this and say, okay, I need to make a to-do list of all the things that I need to do in order to be in a right relationship with God. James is not saying that. He's not saying you need to add works to your faith in order to be saved. That would nullify the cross, and the cross is sufficient for your salvation. But he is saying real, genuine, authentic faith is about that action. Real faith in Jesus will inevitably lead you into a life of good works and service to other people. What do I mean by works? So James keeps using and issuing, using this, this, this phrase. He said it a number of times. He says the royal law of love. So what is the royal law of love that James keeps referencing? Jesus actually sums that up for us in the gospel of Matthew. He says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these commandments depend all the law and the prophets. James is talking about a love for God that manifests itself into a love for other people. So let's look back at James's words here, and let's let James deliver up some tough love, some tough coaching for us. So I have three points that I want to look at today from the text. Three warnings that James issues to the church. Number one, faith without works is useless. Let's look back at the text. James chapter 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Verse 20, you're right. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Why? Faith without works is useless in that it does not minister to the one who is in need. What good are the man's empty words? What good is it for the man to say, go be warm and be filled without giving him the necessary things? It's just lip service. He sees someone cold, and he sees someone hungry, and he sees someone tired, and he sees someone worn out on the side of the road. Be warm and filled. Lord, I hope somebody helps him. God bless him. What good is that? James says, what good is that? It's ineffective. It's empty words. It's lip service. It's empty words with no action and therefore useless. I say this all the time. I think this has come up in every single sermon I've ever given. We are blessed to be a blessing. We are a blessed people. We are a called out people as followers of Jesus. And we are blessed for a purpose. We are supposed to be a conduit by which the blessings of God flow to us and then flow through us into other people's lives. Those of you who have plenty and an abundance, you can be used in a mighty way to help those in need. Those of you whom God has blessed, you can be used to minister to people in incredible, tangible, real ways. Genuine faith is effective. It is effective in that it does minister to the one who is in need. If you have been blessed, you are blessed not just to add to your 401k, get a nicer house, and buy a nicer car. Those things are not bad things, but those things are not the reason that God has blessed you. You have been blessed to live an open-handed life, to be a shining light for Jesus in the world. True faith is always accompanied by action. True faith is always accompanied by action. Number two, faith without works cannot save. Okay, this is going to be a bit dense, and I'm going to raise a lot of questions here, and you are going to have a lot of questions that I cannot get into um, in this sermon. I wanted to preach for like three hours. Matt said I couldn't do that. So I'm probably going to raise some questions. What I want you to do is I want you to come and find me after service if you've got any questions. So with that said, let's jump in. But someone will say, verse 18, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe 
and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Then the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and she sent them out by another way. This is a challenge that James is issuing to those who say they have faith and that's enough. This is the person who says they believe in God, they believe God exists, but they don't love him and they don't love their neighbor. James says, oh cool, you believe in God? Way to go. So do the demons. It isn't enough just to claim that you believe in God, but there's no evidence of God in you. Just having correct doctrine is not saving doctrine. Knowing that God exists in your head is not the same as knowing him personally in your heart. Intellectual assent to correct doctrine is not salvation. If you believe that God exists, know lots of Bible verses, know lots of Bible information, but you don't love God and you don't love your neighbor, you're not a Christian. You're just smart. False faith is one which results in no good works. The works do not save us, and there is no sense in which James requires works for salvation, but he points out that even demons have a sort of faith by believing that God exists. Faith which saves is faith which results in action. And James is not arguing that faith doesn't matter, nor is he denying that, faith, that, that, that through faith alone we are saved by God's grace. He is simply noting that the faith which saves is something more than an opinion. Instead, James is arguing for exactly what Paul has written about in Ephesians 2.10, that the God who saved us by his grace through faith and not in any sense our works, he has planned all along for his children, for you and I, to do good works, that we should walk in them. That's what true believers do. That's just what we do. We believe in Jesus, we are justified, we are made righteous, and then guess what? We go out and we do work. Faith alone saves you, but not faith that is alone. True faith is always accompanied by works. James gives us two examples of what he means. He gives us Abraham and Rahab, so let's talk about them together. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Who is Abraham and what does this mean, right? Let's go back to the very beginning. In Genesis, the author tells us the story of how God created all things and he made human beings in his image to rule on his behalf. And however, we misuse that rule as humanity and we rebel against our creator. So God has begun his mission to reconcile his rebellious and sinful world. And to do that, he calls out a man named Abram, later called Abraham, to launch his plan of rescuing the world and blessing his people. And he says, God says he will be the father to a nation. One problem, he is childless. And his wife is barren, and he is very old. 
But God affirms his promise, though, very late in life. Abraham, at 100 years old, fathers a son named Isaac. He held on to the promise of God, and God proved to be faithful, and he gave him a son. And then God speaks to him in Genesis 22, and he tells him, take your son, your one and only son, the one he has waited on for for years and trusted God for and believed for, and God says, take him up and sacrifice him on a mountain. Now, we do not have enough time in this sermon to talk about all of the details of this, but Abraham does what God says. He takes his son to the mountain, he builds an altar, he ties up his son, and he is prepared to sacrifice the son that he loves because the God that he loves has asked him to do it. And as he is about to sacrifice his son, God intervenes and he stops him and he says, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now that I know you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your one and only son. Verse 15 of chapter 22 in Genesis, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and he said, I swear by myself declares the Lord that because you have done this, And have not even withheld your one and only son. I will bless you and I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand in the seashores. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Because Abraham was willing to do what God asked. Even something as difficult as giving up his one and only son. His faith was proved to be genuine. He was not justified and made right right with God because of this, but it was because he was right with God that his faith was justified and proved to be real genuine faith that is obedient. It wasn't lip service. It wasn't just talking the talk. His faith was demonstrated to be genuine by his obedience to God. Faith works. It works in that it draws us into a deeper relationship with God, and it works in that it acts. It does. James gives us another example. Rahab says in verse 25 of chapter 2, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. So Rahab was a prostitute who was living, she was a prostitute living outside of the walls of Jericho. And so Joshua and the Israelites have just crossed the Jordan River, and the only thing standing in their way between them and the promised land that God had promised their father Abraham was the pagan city of Jericho. And before the troops headed into battle, Joshua sent two spies into the city. So Rahab, the prostitute, she sees these men, she knows something's up, and she tells the spies that she has actually heard of their God. She says, I know that the Lord has given you this land. And then she goes on to say, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt. She's like, I have heard about the God that you serve. I have heard about the God who does miracles. I have heard about the God who splits seas. And then she says, for the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She has faith. She believes that the God of the Israelites is the one true God. She believes. And then in order to save them, she acts. 
She hides the spies. She lies to the king of Jericho and protects them. Because of this, when Joshua and the Israelites take the city, guess what they do? They go and find Rahab. They find her whole family and they save her. They bring her into the nation of Israel. Uh, Her faith acted and it resulted in her salvation. And from her lineage comes Jesus. Rahab and Abraham, they were both justified because they had faith. And as a result of that faith, they acted. They believed. And they didn't just believe, but they believed and they were obedient to God. And because of their true, genuine faith, James says they were righteous and they were counted as friends of God. That's how I want to be remembered. Not as just someone who comes in and sits down in a pew, but as someone who is righteous and a friend of God. And they achieved this status not just by coming to church and singing some songs, but by believing in God and showing it with their actions. Genuine faith is obedient and leads to salvation. Genuine faith in God results in obedience to God. Because if you really believe, if you really believe, you are going to be a doer. If you really believe, you will be about that action. If you really believe, you will be saved. But if you don't really believe, you're not going to be all that God has called you to be. If Abraham did not really believe that God was good... If he didn't really have faith in God, he never would have taken his son Isaac up the mountain. But because he believed, he obeyed. And because of this, because of his obedience, because of his faith that led to works, he was justified. And he was blessed. And he became the father to a great nation. If Rahab did not really believe in God, she would not have hid the spies. But because she believed, she acted, she did work, she hid the spies, and it resulted in literally her salvation. And from her line comes Jesus. To me, this reveals something, that if we aren't careful, we are going to miss out on what God has for us because we aren't obedient. I'll take it a step further. And it reveals that we... We aren't obedient because we don't really believe. We don't really have faith. We don't listen to God when he tells us to abstain from sex outside of marriage because we don't really believe that our relationship will be as fulfilling. We don't tithe because we don't really have faith that God's going to provide for us. We don't help the poor and the needy because we haven't really given our hearts and our lives to the God who loves and cares for the poor. Real, genuine faith works. Real faith is evidenced by your actions. I want you to think about this. If you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If someone were to look at your life and your deeds and the actions of your life, would there be enough evidence to convict you? If not, you have to stop and consider, are you really a Christian? Because we should be able to see it in your life. If you claim to know Jesus, but you don't love God and you don't love your neighbor, 
and you do no good works, perhaps you are not a follower of Jesus. Perhaps you are just talking the talk. And as Marshawn Lynch so eloquently puts, talking has never got me anything. Talking will not get you salvation. Faith without works is dead. Strong statement. Dude says it twice in here. What does he mean? What he is saying here is faith without works is actually not faith at all. It's not real faith. Think of it this way, all right? Think of a tree, okay? And think of a tree that has lots of leaves and lots of fruit on it. Do the fruit and the leaves make it alive? No. But because the tree has deep, healthy roots and is alive, that tree produces fruit. All right? You tracking with me? So if you were to see a tree that has lost all its leaves and it is producing no fruit at all, what would you conclude? That it is dead. You would conclude that the tree was in fact dead because it didn't bear any fruits. And what would you do to that dead tree? You'd chop it down. You'd burn the stump because it's not good for anything. It's ineffective, it's useless, and it's dead. Genuine faith, real faith, it is alive. It is alive in that it produces fruit. It produces good works. So let's look at this analogy in Scripture. We're going to go to Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 24. We'll have the words up on the screen as well. Now the works of the flesh, they're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgy, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Spirit The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong, those who really belong to Jesus, they, they crucify the flesh with its passions and its desires. Here Paul describes two people, one in the flesh, one in the Spirit. Are you driven and rooted in works of the flesh? Because if so, you are living with a dead faith. If the works, if the fruits of your life are sexual sin, idolatry, impurity, strife, enmity, jealousy, if these are the things that rule in your life and these are the things that are the fruits of your life, you are living in the flesh. And that means you are outside of Christ. And this this absolutely breaks my heart when I read this. Because as I talk with many of you, And you wonder why these are the fruits of your life. Maybe you don't see these things in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Maybe you don't see these things in your life because you're doing the works of the flesh. Not the spirit. 
Not the good works that the Spirit has, has called us, has created us to partake in and to work in. This is the abundant life that God is calling you into. All of the thou shalt nots of the Bible are God pulling you deeper into a relationship with Him. Because what you're looking for is Him. And we have to be rooted in Jesus. Believe in Him and allow the Holy Spirit to cultivate within us this life in the Spirit. Genuine faith is alive. And it grows within us. And we produce the fruits of a true Christian. Paul tells us in Romans that the marks of a true Christian, the marks of a true believer, a true follower of Jesus, who is not just talking the talk, is this, showing brotherly love, showing honor, being a hard worker, having hope in Christ, and service to one another. So what do we do? This has been a challenging passage for me for many years. I have read this and I have felt so much anxiety and perhaps you feel that now. Some of you should. Some of you should not, however. Because I want you to know that we are not saved by our works. We're saved by grace. But once you are saved, you better get to work. We have to be about that action. We've got to repent. We've got to position ourselves in God's grace and allow Jesus to transform us from the inside out, which is going to inevitably lead to good works. We do not work to earn God's love, but instead we work because we love God. We don't work to earn God's love, but instead we work because we are loved by God. We don't work to earn salvation, but because we have salvation, we have got to do good works. And our band is going to lead us in a, a song. And it's called, Give Me Faith. And I want that to be the cry of our hearts today. Please, don't just sing this song. Don't just mouth your words to this song. That's empty. That's dead. I want to be at a church that operates with real, true, authentic, genuine faith that is not just about lip service, but it is about action. It is not about talking the talk. It is about walking the walk. I want us to be at a church. I want us to be known here in St. Louis at a church of big faith, real, authentic, genuine faith that goes out and does and does the work of Jesus in a broken city and in a broken world. That's the reputation that we are called to walk in and operate in. I don't want to play church. I don't want to just show up here on Sunday, sing some songs we don't really believe, and then go out and look nothing like the Jesus that we profess to know. There is too much on the line got to submit our hearts to Jesus and we've got to allow him to come into our lives and change us and I promise you this is the best decision you are ever going to make and it is going to transform your life and you are inevitably going to be known for your good works so I want us to sing this song it says give me faith to trust what you say and that's what we need where there is doubt I come against that in the name of Jesus I speak faith 
So let this be our prayer here in this place. Lord, give us faith. Let's worship Jesus.